Good morning, and uh, welcome to Journey Church this morning. Good to have you all out. If you're a guest, it's good to have you with us today. We are uh, going to be wrapping up a series today, and uh, I always, when I say that, I always wonder if people think, well, I've missed out on something. Um, yeah, you have, but I'm going to catch you up, all right? So you're going to be okay, and we're going to cover uh, where we've been and uh, kind of catch you up to where we are today. If you want to catch our, our other sermons, what uh, the previous weeks, you can grab those on uh, Facebook Live, or you can see them online, uh, uh, journeyky.church. Sorry about that. Uh, but we're about to jump into it, and I hope, uh, I, hope I can hang on. I, my allergies are starting to kick in a little bit with the fall, and everybody else is getting that too. Uh, but before we do that, um, before we hit fall, I wanted to talk about summer. And I'm not a huge plant person, but every now and then I will see a plant that I really like, and, and I want one of them. And, and one of those that I really like was wisteria. I don't know a lot about wisteria, but that's what it looks like. Uh, that is m- at my parents' house. They have this huge wisteria plant. It's a vine, and it has these beautiful uh, purple flowers on it. So I wanted one of those, and so uh, I got a sprout, uh, kind of came up around the base of it, planted it out at our house, uh, built a trellis for it because it does kind of grow up in vine. And this was the first year that mine actually bloomed a little bit, and it's going a little crazy. It actually is growing into the barn. Somehow it doesn't know it's supposed to grow out. So it's growing into the barn. So I have to watch that. Because it really they can get huge. They can get big. They can actually kill trees. They can tear a building down. If they really get on top of it, you don't uh, slow them down. They can be kind of disrupt, uh, destructive, but uh, they can be controlled as well. And so mine bloomed, and so I had these uh, seed pods that came on it. And again, I don't know much about them, but I'm always looking to make a buck or two. I'm like, you know, I'm going to take those pods. I'm going to dry them. And I'm going to grow some uh, sprouts, and I'm going to sell them to people, you know, have their own, right? So I started looking into that, and I realized that that's not the best way to grow a wisteria plant, in case you might wonder, because it, you can plant the seeds, and they'll grow, but it, it might take 20 years for them to actually bloom, 20 years. Now, most people don't have that long to wait to see a bloom on a plant. So, uh, so I was reading it, and they said that the best way to do that is to take, like I did, an actual sprout from the plant, or take even a limb, bend it down, cover it with dirt to create some roots on there, and, uh, and then separate it from the main vine. Now, it takes a long time to grow something like this, but it's really worth it because it's, it's beautiful. They can really spread out like crazy. Well, I thought about this plant, not just because I wanted to tell you about plants, but I thought about that when I was writing this message today, because we've been talking for a few weeks now about reproducing. We've been talking about growing. We've been talking about spiritual growth specifically. And we use this uh, kind of analogy, this graphic that we have developed for our church, uh, begin, believe, belong, become. And we've been talking the last few weeks about each of those, and today we're going to wrap up. We're going to talk about the fourth in that, uh, those marker points, and that is becoming. And let me just say, while each of the others had their own season and time in our spiritual walk, that the fourth is in infinite until we leave this earth behind because we're always becoming, right? We, we begin our walk with Christ. We come to a point of belief. We find belonging or connection in our, our relationships in the church. We belong. And then we kind of move to a phase that we're going to talk about today, which is one of the higher levels of spiritual growth to a place where we are becoming and helping other people belong, become as well. Let me just say also that along each of these four marker points or these phases in our spiritual growth, that we can tend, have a tendency to get stuck, we really can. There are people who have been beginning or checking out Jesus for a long time. 
and they've never given their life to Christ. There are people who are in the believe phase in their life, and they believe, but they've never moved beyond that. They've never become a servant. They've never begun to, to really serve and share Jesus with other people. And there are people who, who belong that have a serving heart, but they're not beyond that as well. And, and our challenge is to keep moving in this process because the longer you get stuck somewhere, the more likely you are to stay there. In other words, people who know about Jesus and never give their life to Christ, it, it becomes more likely that they will not as time goes on. The longer we just remain, you know, just a basic believer and not growing in our faith, we, we may get stuck in that place indefinitely. So uh, keep in mind that we want to be always encouraging you and, and kind of pushing you to take your next step in your spiritual journey. And we want to help you do that. We want to help you along the way. Because kind of like my wisteria plant, my plan, you can't just plant a seed and walk away. You, you have to nurture that. It takes hands-on care. It takes planting, assisting, and, and nurturing the plant as it grows. And we want to help you do that. And we do want to be a church that moves people on a simple journey toward Jesus. See, the plan that Jesus has for every one of our lives is that we come to know about Him in some way. He belongs for us to have knowledge of Him, and then to accept Christ as Lord and Savior, and then grow and mature until we are reproducing other believers. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We are producing some fruit in our lives. Jesus said this, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask, in my name, the Father will give to you. So Jesus is talking about us bearing fruit, about bearing much fruit. And we're going to look and see what that really looks like in our lives. Like I said before, this is the last in the series called The Path that we've been on. And we've talked about taking someone from a seeker to a believer, to a worker, and now to a disciple maker, which is kind of the, the fourth phase in our, our diagram there. And that really, I think, is where God wants us to become and we come to a place in our life where that we are spiritually mature and we're helping other people become disciples as well. And like we've been doing throughout this series, we're going to talk briefly about the fact that Jesus used this model with his disciples. We looked in the book of John that, that Jesus would lead them from becoming seekers to believers to workers to now disciples who are making more disciples. So this is, a coming, this is the, the calling that they had and the one that we have as well. It's not limited to what Jesus did with His disciples. It's what He wants each one of us to do as well. He wants to prepare us and to equip us. Luke chapter 6, Jesus said, the student is not above their teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. And the word trained here is the word that we might translate equipped. So we want to equip you. We want to help you, and we encourage you to equip yourself so that you will be fully trained and will become like your teacher, who is like Jesus, of course. See, Jesus' agenda was to come to our earth and to birth this movement of multiplying disciples. He wanted to make sure that this would be a movement that would continue on even before, even after his leaving the earth, and he would leave that in capable hands. And to do that, he needed to have fully equipped disciples who understood that they were to make other disciples. And I'm sure that Jesus had that in mind, whenever he chose the 12. You know, there were a lot of people that Jesus met that he did not call to come and be one of the 12 primary disciples. There were people, one that comes to my mind, I always think about Lazarus. Jesus loved Lazarus like a brother, very good friend, but we have no indication that he actually called Lazarus to be one of his primary disciples. We don't know why. 
But the ones he did call, he saw something in them that he knew that they would fall into his plan, his ministry plan, and then they would be the ones that would duplicate other people as well. And when they were seeking to find out who he was, Jesus invited them in the beginning phase to come and see. And then once they believed, he invited them to follow me. And then when they followed him, he invited them uh, to actually go and become workers in the harvest, to be belonging to Christ. And then he challenged them to own the mission by becoming, by, by, uh, by pointing other people toward Jesus as well. You know, I've always heard that you weren't a successful parent until you had children who were successful parents. And I think that makes a lot of sense when you think about it. Maybe we're not successful disciples until we have produced a disciple who in turn produces disciples. So it's a generational thing, and this obviously is how the church must function in order for it to continue down through the years. So we want to challenge ourselves. Fortunately, we don't have to wait generations to produce disciples. Uh, We can do those rather quickly, more quicker than children and grandchildren. But God is calling us to say, this is the mission that I have for you, to be a disciple who produces more disciples. And Jesus stated this mission many times. Probably the best known is the one in Matthew chapter 28, where Jesus said, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. We call that the greatest of commissions, that we are to go and to teach We are to baptize, and then we are to teach again, and that is a process of making disciples. He also said it like this, I want you to go and be fishers of men. I want you to go and gather people to me. He also called them to be workers in the harvest. We've used each of these analogies in our our, uh, discussions the last few weeks. In John chapter 15, Jesus said this, I am the vine, and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I re- in you, then you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown to the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So what does Jesus say is an indication or proof of them to be his disciples? It was producing fruit and bearing much fruit, which is, he correlates to the the fact that they're connected to him, they're on the vine, and they're producing more fruit. So basically, understand that all of us, we are industrious type people. We're going to be doing something. We're producing something. Most of us are producing a product. We're producing a life. We're producing something. But the Christian life is moving from living and producing for yourself to living and producing for Christ. And that's what spiritual growth is, is kind of all about as we're talking about becoming here. And that's the mission that we have as a church. We want to move people on a simple journey toward Jesus. We don't ever want you to be content with where you are. We want you to be satisfied with Jesus, but not content with where you are in your journey to be always moving to the next higher level of spiritual growth that God has for us. So that's kind of our mission. Our mission is to be like that of Jesus, which was multiplication. Jesus always focused on multiplying. If you think about it, he talked about things. He talked about giving talents to some, uh, some uh, uh, servants and asking them to make more talents. So a lot of big theme of what Jesus taught was about multiplying things, not addition, but multiplication. And so when we think about what God wants us to do, we have to kind of figure what is, what is success in, in our spiritual growth? How do, we, how do we find that? 
A lot of people feel like success in the spiritual life is, is to know the entire Bible. They're on a quest to know the Bible, which is, which is great. I don't want to diminish that at all. Or to know the answer to every question, to be able to answer and debate people and uh, apologetics, you know, to be able to do that. And that's great if you can do that. Or to be a really, really good person, which we all long to be. Or pray very spiritually. And those are all great goals. And I don't want to diminish any of those. But the ultimate goal of a Christian is to reproduce their faith in other people, to make disciples. Make disciples is the greatest command that Jesus gave to us, to love uh, God, love other people, to make disciples. You know, a few weeks ago when we began this series and we talked about young believers, we said that every young believer needs a spiritual parent. They need someone in their life that they can look to, that they can mentor them and disciple them. And those people are, have to be older Christians in the, in, the, in the church. They have to be people who have walked a little bit of time and, and have some wisdom to share with other people and are willing to do that. And I think that takes, on our part, those of us who are Christians, they have been for a while, it takes a willingness to do that. You know, if you have children, the odds are pretty good that you spend some time thinking about when you would have kids, planning to start your family. And maybe you put that off for a while, you know, to make sure you were ready, and you finally came to the point you say, we'll never be totally ready, but let's do it. Let's, let's get the family started. There's a certain level of maturity that a couple needs before they start having children, right? And one of them is that they can take care of themselves and pr provide for themselves. If somebody else is paying all your bills, you don't need to be having kids probably at that point. But that you become responsible and you're mature emotionally, physically, mentally, and then you're ready to care for other people. And I think spiritual parenting is the same way. And that's why we've been trying to encourage you. We know that, that you don't just make disciples uh, immediately, you have to grow into that. You have to gather some experience and some spiritual wisdom and knowledge and uh, relationships in the community, uh, the church community. Those are all part of the different things we talked about, of beginning, believing, belonging, to get to the place where we now can produce fruit and we can reproduce other believers. Spiritual parenting is very similar to physical parenting. We need to prepare ourselves we need to grow ourselves and come to a place, then we can reach out to other people who are lost, who need to be matured and, and discipled in Christ. And that's kind of what the belonging phase of our journey was about. We talked about that last week, connecting in the church community and serving and taking on the mission, working to accomplish the mission, raising our own family to know the Lord, and then ready to take on responsibility for other people who maybe don't have the influence in their life. But what I've discovered in most believers is that there's a great fear in this. What if I fail? What if I try and I'm not successful? What if I'm the one person that talks to them about Jesus and I turn them off and they never, you know, come to church, they never give their life to Christ? There's a, there's a lot of risk in that. And I remember fearing a, a lot of that myself when I, was, when I was younger, a minister. I would really get nervous. I think I've told you this before. I would get really nervous when I had a visit to go do, and I felt like it was all on me. I had to win this person. I had to answer their arguments. I had to convince them, persuade them to accept Christ. And then one day I realized, you know, I need to be prepared, but it's not me. If I win them over with clever arguments, then, you know, they may uh, change their mind tomorrow, but it's the power of God. It's the Holy Spirit in people's lives. So when you think about it, all we're doing is we're just opening up people's lives to the influence of the Holy Spirit. And we have to be willing to do that. We've got to be available. We talked about a person who, who was available last week and responsive to what God calls them to do. And so God is calling us to do that. You know, in our group the other night, 
we were, uh, were talking about this very subject, discussing this series. And one of the guys in the group said, well, how do we get people to do that? How do we get people to step up and actually carry on the mission? And I said, that is a great question. If I knew, I would write a book, you know, and, and sell tons of books. I don't know all the answers, but I do know this, that we need this vision cast to us. And that's what we've been trying to do for the last few weeks, is just cast this vision to challenge you, to, to, to urge you, to motivate you in some, some way to say, this is, I want to start thinking this way. And, and encouragingly, I'm, I'm beginning to hear that. I'm beginning to hear people use this language, and people start thinking and asking themselves, am I, am I influencing people? Am I producing fruit? Where, where would I say I'm on this scale of of my spiritual growth, and what marker point am I at, and what do I need to do next? I love to hear that, and we want to help you do that. We really do. Bottom line, there has to be a willingness on our part where God moves our heart to do that. And our motivation can't come from me bugging you or guilting you or anything else or bribing you. It comes from the grace and mercy that we've been shown by Christ. And we want to show that to others. In 1 Corinthians 5, it says, for Christ's love compels us because we're convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. You know, I believe at this point, maybe in the point of becoming, that we really begin to absorb the fact that now we are living for Christ. That we are, our whole life is wrapped around this life that we're living for him. We no longer live for ourselves because the love of Christ has compelled us and we're convinced that one died for all, and for us, and for everybody else. And we want them to know about that. You know, as I look at the lives of these disciples, and I see how they grew, uh, when they came to the near, the end of, uh, near the end of Jesus' ministry, I think this is where they were. They were sold out. I mean, they were willing to fight for him. Peter was ready to take a sword and, and tear into the, the soldiers and and they were willing to lay down their life for him. They had moments of struggle, but bottom line, every one of them died for their faith eventually. They were sold out to follow Jesus and to tell other people about him as well. You know, the more we know about Christ, the more we come to know him and love him and appreciate him, and the more we should want other people to know him as well. And I think that's what we see. We see in the book of John, just through this study, that as Jesus called them, the transformation in their lives, to come and see and follow him, fishers of men, bear much fruit, they began to respond to that. And, and they became a team and a community that reflected Jesus' love. Now, how do you think Jesus felt toward them? I think Jesus was frustrated at times, but, but overall he was pleased with their progress. How do we know that? Because he makes an amazing statement in John chapter 15. Here's what he says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last so that whatever you ask in my, my name, the father will give you. Isn't that amazing that Jesus said no longer are we just master and servants? No longer am I just the rabbi and you're the disciples behind me, but now you are beside me. I almost get this middle picture that Jesus said, guys, you don't have to walk back here anymore. Walk with me. And they walked side by side because I think that's what it began to feel like. And Jesus began to entrust them with the message. And I think, guys, I think that's how we need to think about it as well, walking with Jesus 
Walking, sure, continuing to follow Him and build our faith, but, but understand that we're part of this, that now we're not just servants, we're friends. We're friends of God. You know, friends have special privileges, don't they? Friends go way beyond servanthood or employment. It is a lot deeper than that. Friends are free to call on each other anytime and ask for anything. That's what friends do. Friends can share their deepest secrets and, ho- and, uh, and trust other people to keep them and know, hey, we are good. We don't have to talk all the time, but we're good. We're good. You know, I have some really good friends, and, and many of you folks out here today I would call very good friends of mine. I hope I'm a friend to you as well. I got to say, my, my best friend in this, on this earth is sitting right here is Lori, uh, but my true best friend is Jesus. And I always wanted to be that way. You know, he is my best friend. I don't want to start a day without touching base with him and talking to him and hearing from him. I want to I have contact every day. I want to spend time with him. I want to be in his presence. I want to find his will for my life. I want to be so close that I just innately feel that and sense that through his spirit. I, I don't have to try to impress him because he already knows the truth, right? He knows better than I do, and I don't need to try to, you know, uh, fool him about who I am. He knows that but he loves me anyway. He forgives me when I mess up. He gave his life for me. I've committed my life to follow him. We understand that. And I want you to know that you can have that as well, that same friendship. It has nothing to do with me being a minister or having been a Christian all my life. It's available to every one of us. He loves us. He loves everyone. But I believe that those who are followers, those who are on mission with him, those who are spiritually mature, that he sees as his friends. It's kind of how he designated the, the, um, the disciples who had spent all this time with him. And I want to be a friend of God. And I want to spend my life helping other people find that friendship as well. And, and the more we grow, the Bible says, to whom much has been given, much is expected. And all of us, those of us who've been Christians, and I'll speak to us for a minute, we have been given much. But from that much, we are expected to do more and more and to serve Him and share that friendship with others. You know, have you ever had a friend, maybe you had this happen sometime, but you've had a friend and you introduce that friend to another friend and lo and behold, they become better friends than you were with them? You ever had have some of you are like, yeah, that hurts, doesn't it? It kind of hurts your heart a little bit. You're a little bit envious. You're that. That's not going to happen with Jesus, all right? Let me just assure you that Jesus has the ability to love and be a friend to everyone equally. And sharing Jesus with someone else does not diminish your friendship with him. John the Baptist, I think of so often that he had these guys that were his friends, his followers. But when he saw Jesus, he just said, you go follow that guy. I must decrease. Jesus must increase. But the great thing is we don't have to diminish our relationship with Jesus, our friendship, when we invite others, in fact, the thing that makes us friends and co-workers with Christ is when we are on mission with Him and we're making disciples. It's the highest calling that God gives to us. It's what we are when we are becoming. And that's why all of us need to be challenged to take that step, that next step on our journey. Let's look quickly at some distinctives of people who are in what we might call this becoming phase. First of all, um, they are at the place that, that they're sharing and they want to reach new people. You know, a lot of us are kind of content with our circle of friends. We're, we're happy. We're good. We're in. It's great. But people who are becoming sincerely care about people outside the circle. And they are taking an initiative to develop relationships, sometimes 
even doing something intentional like joining a group or a club or organization in order to create new friends. That's how people who are becoming, they are widening their circle. Secondly, they introduce them to Christ. It's not just finding new friends. It is intentionally saying, I want to introduce them to Jesus. So if you see what's happening, they're actually helping people begin this cycle of spiritual growth. They're beginning by moving people into an awareness of Christ. They are helping them to believe because they're sharing Christ with them. Thirdly, they disciple and equip them as workers. So they're helping them belong. And remember the people who are belongers, they're workers, they're in the kingdom, they're servants. And so many times they will invite other people to join them in service and connect them with other believers. You know, Eric was up here earlier, and we're so blessed to have a, a guy like Eric working with our kids. We really are. And he's a great leader of people as well. But uh, he was talking about, you know, always needing workers and people who would take the, the, the next step. Do you know who the best recruiters are for a ministry? It's the people in the ministry. It's the workers that are already there. Best, the best recruiters for kid, uh, Journey Kids will be people who are working in Journey Kids because they have a love for it, a passion, and they invite other people to come and join them. The best recruiters for first impressions are the smiling faces that stand out there and invite other people in. Those are the best recruiters, and they invite them, other people into the circle and help them belong as well. And then fourthly, they launch them into new ministry and disciple-making processes. They understand that their job is to help mature them and develop another person's own ministry. Help them do that. Help them become as well. And you know what? That's got to be intentional, and it has to be understood it's hard work. And it's going to be messy in the whole deal. You know, working for Jesus is not always clean and, and easy. New babies are going to have dirty diapers. They're cute on the outside, but they have stinky problems inside, right? All of us do. Sin has to be confronted, patiently dealt with. There are people that are going to, you're going to talk about too about Jesus, they're going to have no interest at all. You cannot get discouraged. There are people that are, that are coming to know Christ, but you've got to deal with their sin, and you've got to patiently help them walk through it. There are going to be some people who count the cost and decide it's not worth following Jesus. There are going to be others who do follow Jesus, and they're going to fall away at some point. There are going to be people who get contented and comfortable where they are, and they will not move any further in their journey. But we cannot get discouraged. What is it that allows us to remain faithful for years and years and years is we do not get discouraged even when we see people who are not willing to take their next step on the journey. One of my good friends, I think he's in this service somewhere, but Robert Brock. Robert, are you in here? He must be. It would have been in the first. We're getting ready to sing. Uh, Robert said this, and I love it. He said, some get on the bus and some get off the bus, but we have to keep the bus rolling. And I want to tell you, if you're going to have long-term impact for Jesus, you've got to think that way. It breaks our heart when people refuse to get on the gospel bus on the journey, and it breaks our heart when people get off. But we have to keep moving because we're doing this for Jesus. It's bigger than us. It's bigger than my ego. It's bigger than my ministry. It's bigger than this church. It's all about Jesus. And we have to keep that in mind, and we have to have a picture to say, I'm part of that. What am I doing to influence people for Jesus? Let me tell you, I believe that disciple-making is the most dangerous work of a Christian. I think it's the one that Satan hates the worst. Satan doesn't mind if we stay busy with church activities. Sometimes there's not a lot of threat in that, not much threat to his work. We can focus inward too much. While we're called to go and do good and address the social injustice of our world, doing that without a plan to lead people to Jesus 
can actually be counterproductive to salvation. Why? Because we can make them complacent and com- com- comfortable without Him. If you're going to help people, whatever their issues are, you need to have it in a plan, a relationship, so that you can lead them to Christ. That's what matters. It's more important than solving all their earthly problems is sharing their eternal problem. Satan won't mind if we just focus on people's immediate issues. Satan isn't threatened whenever we focus inwardly on the church made up of believers who are in Christ. He may not be able to pull us away from Christ, but man, when we start taking seriously the call to make disciples, whenever we start reaching out and winning people from Satan's grip, and whenever we start helping them grow and they start winning people, and we start a movement and we start a revival, when we take seriously the call to be a friend of Jesus and make other friends, you better believe that there's going to be attacks. The Satan's going to attack us with discouragement, with disillusionment, with all sorts of of personal attacks and challenges, but we must not back down. We must be spiritually mature enough to recognize it for what it is and keep on keeping on. We have to have that courage. We've got to be able to do it to be faithful. And I believe that this is truly what Jesus said when he he talked about bearing fruit and what we're we're being called to do as disciple makers. That's really what, what I want my life to be about. That's what I want to be remembered for and known for because it's the only thing that will last. Did you notice that Jesus said, I want you to to, uh, produce fruit that will last, fruit that will last? You know, I may accomplish some great and important things on this earth or maybe not, but the only thing that's going to ultimately matter is how many people that I move toward Jesus. That really is all that's matter. That's the only fruit that's going to last. Same thing is true. You may have a ton of things and lots of money, but the moment you die, suddenly there's nothing you're taking with you except the people that you've influenced. Souls are the only thing that will go to heaven. Everything else will be left behind. So the mature Christian's life is a constant state of becoming what God wants us to be, never growing, our, never stop growing ourselves and maturing, but also asking ourselves, who am I influencing? Who am I pouring into? Who am I mentoring? Who am I encouraging? Who am I sharing Jesus with? And every one of us need to examine our lives to see if we are doing that, if we're intentionally making disciples and investing in the lives of others, to see if there might be something in our life that is good that we need to prune out. You know, some of you are sitting there going, man, that sounds great, Randy. If I had time to do that, I'd be all about it. And let me say this, you will never have time. You will never have extra time. I don't have extra time stacked up trying to find something to do with it. But you have the time to do it if it becomes a priority. Because there's something else in your life that's probably good, maybe bad, but maybe even good that you need to prune out so you can focus on the best things. You can't do everything in life, so you need to do what you know is really going to matter. And when we do experience success, we need to make sure that God gets all the glory and that Christ is lifted up. So this is the journey that we invite you on. To begin, to believe, to belong, become. And let me just also mention that with the last three of these waypoints that we talked about, we've assigned one of our three core values. With the waypoint of believing, we said it's important to connect. When you have accepted Christ, you have to connect not only to Christ, but to His church. The waypoint of belonging is the value is of growing, that we are called to grow in, in our spiritual life. This is the time that we are to grow and, and really dig in. And then this third waypoint, or the fourth waypoint of becoming is sharing. We share Christ. What does it mean to share? It means seeking the lost, building the believer, equipping the worker. 
Sounds like another series that might, you might hear down the road somewhere. But real quick, we'll move on. What does it mean to share, to seek, to build, to equip? Evangelism and discipleship. Which do we do? We do both. We focus on both of them. What does your journey look like as a believer? You seek to find out who Jesus is, number one. You give your life to Christ, and then you begin this lifetime of serving and working and growing in Him. You know, yesterday morning in this room, we had a, a funeral service of a man that most of you did not know. Uh, Jim Prout was with us. This is Dan's dad. He was with us for just a couple of months, and one of them he spent in the hospital or more. Uh, he was there a, a lot. Uh, but Jim was a good man, and he loved the Lord. And, uh, you know, sometimes you don't know someone until you hear their, their funeral service, and I guess that's kind of how it was with, with Jim. I, I met him a few times. We talked several times. Uh, but, but Jim was a man who loved the Lord and who loved people and loved connecting people with the Lord. And, uh, and I was so impacted by one of those men, and, and these people are all over the world at some point because Jim had a big ministry in discipling cadets in uh, the Coast Guard Academy is where he did his, his work in ministry for many years. But one of these guys stood up and talked about what it meant to be mentored and discipled by, by Jim Prout and how it impacted his life and changed the trajectory of his life. And his wife talked about the kind of husband he had become because of Jim and Jerry's influence on his life. And it just really struck me to say, you know what? Jim was doing what we've been talking about for weeks now. He was a disciple who was making disciples. And we, as a church, were robbed from some of that because Jim wanted to do that more. His intention was to do more. But God called him home. And so now it's our responsibility that we carry on the work in ministry. So let me challenge you to ask yourself, who am I impacting for Jesus? And what fruit am I producing that will last? That's my challenge to you. We're going to wrap up our time together by going to a time of communion as we spend some time and focus on Jesus and what He did for us. You know, Jesus became our Savior. He was always our Savior, but the moment He gave His life, He, he gave His life so that it would atone for our sin and we could be forgiven. And it was upon that cross that He became the sacrifice for our sin. And we're going to remember that in a moment. If you're a believer, we invite you to come and share with us our tradition as we come up the side aisles and then circle back into your seat. But just take a few moments to reflect on Jesus' love for us and His sacrifice on the cross. This will be a time that we reflect together. If you prefer not to come forward, you can just remain your seat and one of our deacons will, will serve you in the back. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this day. God, thank You for loving us. It is Your grace, Your amazing grace, and Your love that compels us uh, to serve You and to give our lives to You. And then, Lord, to be willing to invest in the lives of others. Lord, thank you so much that Jesus was willing to do that. He modeled this entire process. God, he poured his life out so that we might have life. Lord, I ask that as we take the cup, the, the bread and the cup of juice, that, Lord, you would remind us of these things. And, God, you would draw us to yourself. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.